0: thank you may be seated in the lord's presence if you have your bible turn to the book of romans chapter seven it was not until after the destruction of the temple in a.d. 70 that christianity was finally severed from being a sect of judaism because it was not until after the temple was gone that churches ceased to emerge primarily out of the synagogues as even paul went first to the jew and than to the Greeks, as he said. So Jews who had rejected their Messiah, by that time, their choice was kind of hardened and and confirmed. But Paul's readers in Rome at this time, before that had happened, they're made up of a significant contingent of Jews. So Paul writes to Romans, and yet many of his readers have a deep reverence for Moses' law. I mean, they actually view it as a way to make themselves worthy of or worthy for God to do things for them, even as many Jews still do today. So second, there are other Jews that just had a half-step commitment to Jesus, and they didn't want to let go of the temple and the priesthood and its sacrifices. And so in all that mess, we see right now in Romans how the law is the enemy of Christian victory. The enemy of the glorious revelation that we received in chapter 6. The enemy of overcoming by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. Because first off, and this is number one, notice if you will that the unsaved person uses the law as a way to earn salvation. And when they try to work their way to God to earn salvation, the law is not just an obstacle, it's an enemy, just like with any other major world religion on this planet. As somebody came in the first service, a uh, new, new person, we've had a lot of new people coming. praise the Lord in the last couple of three months and, and he came in and he said you know my friends and I we found you on YouTube and we've been looking at that series that you did on the truth between where where we talked about the truth between us and certain other cults and false religions so that you could start at that truth in order to bring them the truth of the gospel and I thought that way oh, you know that's so cool and that you know and then you showed up here today and And every other religion has this one thing in common. They work their way to God. So Buddhism has an eightfold path and Islam has uh, five pillars and uh, Catholicism has seven sacraments and they exist on the idea you must work your way to heaven by ritual, sacraments, ceremonies. You can never know when you have done enough. Only Bible Christianity shows you how God has worked his way to you. So second, second, on the other hand, the law is an enemy for the saved person who tries to use it as a way to earn spirituality. Because then what what he does is to set up normally a system of what I will call Baptist taboos. And if you step over the line, they draw the line. If you step over that, you must be unspiritual. I mean, I had those lines set for me when I was a teenager. Don't, you know, don't play cards, don't go to movies, do not wear bell-bottom jeans, do not wear wire-rimmed glasses, and never let your hair get over your ears. Uh, You know, it's just crazy. And yet those lines are set up by men who are in systems who want to glory in the particular type of, of victory they have over the sin that does not afflict them. So what I found was a lot of the men talking about not, you know, you shouldn't have long hair, were bald. <laughs> I'm just saying. So the law comes in as an enemy because you, you try and set up a human standard of holiness instead of walking in the spirit. And their system was a slow torture which suffocated me. And their system substituted for real discipleship and Bible exposition. And therefore, their system gave me just enough to keep me, but not enough to grow me. They were fueled by a legalistic search for spirituality, not by a walk in the spirit instead of the flesh. So all I'm trying to say is, and this is our thesis for today's study, salvation frees us for spiritual warfare between the flesh and the inner man and this is the struggle where part of you wants to sin and the other part does not and through most of this chapter paul tells you that this was his current battle intrepid apostle that he was and for an extended period of his life he was a loser in other words he was just like us And and what he explains is that he lost the battle because he did not know how to fight the war. So let me take you to our text, because while performance-based acceptance can be an enemy, an obstacle, and afflicts all of us, there is a right way, and Romans 7 tells us how to relate righteously to God's law. Anybody want to hear this? Just say, what was ever wrong with bell-bottom jeans, Alan? And that just takes too long to explain, so I'm going to move on anyway. First off, notice, if you will, this is number one. The law is autocratic. Verse 1. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, particularly Jews, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. Every living person is responsible to the law, because while the law of Moses was only revealed to the Jews... Paul's already stated back in chapter 2, verse 15 of Romans, that the Gentiles show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So here's the dealio. The law law is an autocrat. It is a ruler with absolute power. And there's only one way to escape the law's judgment, the judgment of the law's death. That's sin's rightful wage. So now using the analogy of marriage in verses 2 and 3, Paul explains how the law is a strict husband, but he never dies. Yet, verse 4, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God, You are now free to be sanctified, not because of an Old Testament offering, but because of New Testament life. You died, and you got new life on the inside because the only way to be free from the authority of the law, its autocracy, is for you to die. So we do not serve God in order to fulfill the law. We serve God to give expression of the Holy Spirit that is inside of us. But second, second, this is number two. The law can be abused because it was never to be a means to attain personal righteousness. Well, you ask, but Alan, then why was the law given? And you're asking good questions this morning. Three reasons according to God. This is on the back page of your handout. First letter A, to express God's holiness. Verse 12, wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. The law is an extension of the expression of the character of God. It reveals how God is perfectly righteous and therefore perfectly holy. And that is why there are ten commandments and not just ten suggestions. And everything outside of God's holiness is on a rainbow spectrum is the systemic pandemic of sin and the rules cannot be changed because you can't change who god is therefore the law was given and this is letter b to expose humanity's helplessness there is no hope of humanity measuring up to a perfect moral standard they don't even agree on a perfect moral standard why because we are all on somewhere on that rainbow spectrum of sin so you abuse the law by trying to use it for holiness that is an illegal use of the law It was given to expose our sin, to identify our imperfection, and to discover our need of salvation. So in the final analysis, and this is letter C, it was given to escort us to the cross. The law can never be your means to attain personal righteousness, but there is a way to escape its judgment. Your death, either physically in this life or spiritually in Christ. If you look at the back of your handout, Galatians 3, verses 23 and 24, Galatians 3 says, But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law is not our source of spirituality, but it's our guide to the spiritual one. And the law is not our source of righteousness, but it is our tutor to take us to the Holy One. Only Jesus is the source of righteousness and all absolutely holy. So we all see people who are caught up in this dark perversion of Christianity And they live recklessly in sin, clubbing and cursing and carousing. And then they run to the confessional on Saturday or Sunday and they're given a rosary or a rote series of prayers to pray in penance. And they make their confession, do the penance, and go out the very next weekend and do the exact same self destructive behavior. So the law is an autocratic ruler, it can be abused. So you you say, but Alan, why are we drawn then to follow the law for either salvation or for spirituality? Why are we drawn to that? Well, this is number three because the law appeals to our flesh. So what had happened was we started using the law to find and to fund self righteousness. Rather than understanding its purpose, admitting our guilt, and submitting to God, we used the law illegally. But verse 5 says, When we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, the motivating emotions moving us to sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Now, the word flesh is a term that you run into 14 times in Romans 7 and 8. And just as an aside, for those of you who need a a little something-something extra on Sundays... Well, the Bible refers to seven types of flesh, and we put this on your handout for you. So there are seven types of flesh, actually, that the Bible talks about. But at the bottom line, and let me hit you with this definition, because we're talking here from Romans 7, in the, and in the context of Romans 7, the word flesh means any aspect of self-sufficient living and boxing God out. So it is you acting independent of God, and the law makes a natural appeal to that, because if you can semantically define things the way you want versus the way God wants, you can still keep some of the law. You can cut your hair if you have it. Uh, You can can wear jeans that are not, you know, skinny jeans and, and whatever, or not to church. You know, we weren't supposed to wear jeans to church. Well, you had to dress up and wear a tie to church. Okay. You know, you can do those things. You can accommodate that. And then you can think that you're spiritual. Still, Romans chapter 8, verse 8 says, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. It doesn't matter how you define define the things you want to keep. It doesn't matter even if you keep some of the things God says you should do. You still cannot please him. So number four, the law arouses our awareness of sin. Now let me illustrate that irrefutable idea. How many of you remember the show Candid Camera? Anybody remember the show Candid Camera? It was a lot like the later show, Punked. And so in one episode of Candid Camera... They put a construction fence on a busy city sidewalk in a major city, and it's a construction fence, and you cannot see over it, but they put this hole right at eye level. And then they set up the cameras, and they do you know, time-lapse photography. Almost no one looks in the hole to see what's on the other side of the construction fence. But then they put up a sign, and one sign says, don't look in this hole. And another sign said, whatever you do, don't dare look in here. And suddenly it was as if not one single person could walk by that hole without looking in it. As a matter of fact, they had a line that formed for people who wanted to look in the hole. And all I'm trying to say is we all sing with John Mellencamp, I fight authority and authority always wins. Now watch, verse 8. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. And really, that's a, that is a great King James word, and it's very simple. Just draw a rainbow in the margin next to the word concupiscence, because concupiscence is the entire rainbow of LGBT, non-binary, queer plus, and all the crooked straight people. For without the law, sin was dead. But the law excites sin. I mean, all kinds of sin. I mean, you cannot imagine all the sin and all the colors of sin and all all the manifestations of sin because legalism always breeds carnality. So when the law says don't do it, our flesh says I have to. And when, when the law says you have to do this, our flesh says I don't want to. So you have this innate nature to sin because sin dwells in your flesh. So the law may be God's boundary line for for right living, but because our flesh always fights that, it ends up arousing our awareness of sin in ourselves and in others, and we pay more attention in others than in ourselves because we judge them instead of judging us. And so the problem is not with the law. The problem is inside ourselves. Therefore, number five, the law carries. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. I mean, don't even think that way. Don't even bring that up. I'm not even going to answer you because you shouldn't even ask that question. I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law said thou shalt not covet. We don't have to argue with our culture about what constitutes moral behavior or what constitutes righteous judgment and righteous justice. Because once you abandon God, you are without a law which makes sense. I mean, you start saying things like, but I was born that way. Well, wait now, hold it. You cannot do it that way and get a natural birth. I know you weren't born that way. And it just doesn't make sense. So number six, the law is autonomous from, separated from, true spirituality. Those two do not connect. Verse six, but now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, our body, the flesh, crucified in Christ, so that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. When when we were without Christ, we needed a code, we needed statutes, we needed ordinances, we needed commands. We still need those to inform us on righteousness, but we now have a new power to do what is right, even apart from the letter of the law. So we have died to the law, but because we have died in Christ and are born again, we can live up to the level of God's righteousness. And there are at least five powerful principles left in this passage, which raise us all the way to that level. And this is how life begets true spirituality. First letter A, we are duty bound to the law as long as we live. Verse one, the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. Letter B, we are, but we are dead to the law by being crucified in Christ. And here Paul does a throwback truth, and, and a throwback truth is, is he throws back to the identity truth that he taught us in chapter 6. And if you turn your hand out over, and if you look at those verses, Romans 6, verses 3, 11, and 13, that will enable you to review so you can remember. This is what frees us. And as Romans 7, verses 2 and 3 say, our old husband, the old man, he ain't going to die. Till this body's dead, he don't die. But when we die in Christ, we're free to be married to a new husband, a new man, the new man that Colossians talks about. So we are now, and this is letter C, delivered from the law by the Spirit of God. And for those of you who need a little extra something, something on Sunday, there are actually seven laws referred to in the book of Romans, and the first six are referred to just so we can be, be delivered to number seven. These are identification truths. So knowing, reckoning, and yielding frees you from the law of sin, which bears the wages of death. And instead, Christ's name becomes your name and Christ's righteousness becomes your righteousness and his standing with God is your standing with God and his riches are your riches and his strength is your strength and because his life becomes your life, then his future becomes your destiny. So watch, letter D. We have a destiny to bear the fruit of righteousness. So while living in the flesh, the flesh can produce no fruit acceptable to God, uh, as we saw in verse 5, but now we are married to Christ, verse 4, he is our bridegroom, he's our new man. When we become one with our husband, then it's just natural to produce fruit. So everything done by faith in the sufficiency of Christ bears eternal fruit. Because in the final analysis, and this is letter E, we are designed to walk in newness of the spirit. Verse 6, but now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit. We're crucified in Christ, our body dead in his body, our body crucified in his body. That's mortific. We, we still have to mortify it as we go along. It's up there on the cross. We've got to mortify it. But we can do that because we now have a newness of spirit. We are born again. We don't walk in the oldness of the letter. But you know, what does that mean? Alan, what does that mean? Newness of spirit. Well, you're asking good questions this morning. Let me give you five practical things, and then we raise up out of here because this is how... You can walk in the newness of the Spirit. Your new walk in the Spirit comes with all of these things. Number one, you have a new self-motivation. We have a new design for life and ministry. We are no longer motivated by obligation and mandate. We are motivated by the motions of godly emotions like joy and worship and peace and praise well so number two you have a new source of power so we no longer struggle on our own old self-sufficiency which was never sufficient enough the law gave rules it gave restrictions it gave responsibilities but it gave no resources the law put demands on our lives it did not give us the power to fulfill them but the holy spirit does So the Christian is to live out of Christ's sufficiency because this is identification truth. And when you do not do that, then verses 13 to 20 apply to you. And if you do not tap into this truth, then you're condemned to verses 21 to 25. But if you walk in the Spirit, then number three, it brings you a new sense of contentment. No longer living in helpless frustration. Because the law of the Spirit brings a feeling of fulfillment. Even when we feel like we are defeated, even when it seems like we lost Now, there's a feeling of fulfillment because we know what we've got on the inside and we're going to get back up again. And so we will see this in detail in the next chapter, because number four, you have a new standing in Christ. Living by law, you are always only living in condemnation. Verse 10, and the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. I mean, what a battle. It was a duel. I thought we were just fencing. It was a knife fight to the death. And you know how Mr. Law won? He won because he doesn't play fair. He does not play fair. He tricked me with the commandments and then slew me with its wages. So Paul examines a spiritual man, verses 1 to 6. He contrasts that with the natural man, the unsaved man, verses 7 to 11. He now deals with a different species of animal. He looks like a spiritual man, but he's acting like a natural man. We know him in scripture and in experience as the carnal man, the carnal Christian. So he is the Christian who chooses to sin and simply pay the consequences. Well, Alan, I'm saved by faith through grace. I've got eternal life. Can I do whatever I want? You know what? You can do whatever you can get away with in this life. And not go to jail for. And you can do anything you want if you're willing to suffer the consequences. But part of that consequence is you go back into bondage. So verses 12 to 25 talk about the believer in sin. Now that means the question from the pulpit today is this, if the law is holy, why is it not able to make me holy? I want to be holy too. Well, because even as Christians, the flesh is exceeding sinful, since the sin principle still lives in our flesh. That's why he says in verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. So the reason why the law cannot make me spiritual comes down to my flesh. The flesh gets in the way. And we can survey that, go off in verses 15 and 16, but can I just show you the bottom line? This is Galatians five seventeen. Here's the bottom line. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. The things you want to do, the good things you want to do. So we've got conflicting potentials in Romans 7, verses 17 and 18. We have conflicting purposes in verses 19 and 20, because of conflicting principles, verses 21 to 24. Now watch, because two separate laws are at work now that you got saved. Verse 21, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. I mean, even if I do the right thing, I usually do it for the wrong reason, or, or you know, uh, Selfish motivation. For I delight with the law of God after the inward man, but I can't take my eyes off the old law and forget the corrupting power of my flesh because, verse 23, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members, the members of my body, my flesh. And you can hear Paul's frustration. Just look at his question in verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this, the body of this death? So in the final analysis, because of conflicting potentials and purposes and principles, I have conflicting personalities verse 25 i thank god through jesus christ our lord so then with the mind i myself serve the law of god but with the flesh the law of sin and i'm going to stop there just like paul does but it ain't over and it ain't over because in christ we have a secure standing with god and that's all we need to keep going that's all we need to get back up again and, and look, look at Romans 8 verse 1. I lied. Okay, I'm going to go one verse into the next chapter. And uh, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who, wait, hold it, check that. I mean, you got it. It has to start there. And, and, and it, because it stays there, you got to dwell in him. You have to abide in him and walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So, that, I mean, the problem is not keeping the law not keeping the law. And you do still always have sin in, in the body, in the flesh. But the issue is, well, who are you following then? Are you following the spirit? And the fact that you can now follow the spirit, that alone means that life can never defeat you. So in the final analysis, in a walk of the Spirit, this is number five, you have a new object of praise. Chapter eight is going to bust on the scene with the gospel good news because there is another law. So chapter eight is going to tell you how to solve chapter seven. Chapter seven says there are two natures, and you're losing the battle most of the time. Uh, But chapter eight, that's going to put you on the winning side. Chapter seven says the flesh cannot help you. But chapter 8 says the Spirit does. So under the law, all you can do is seek self-glory, but walk in the Spirit and God gets all the glory. And your life itself turns into an anthem of praise. So the question from the pulpit today is this, to whom are you married? Are you still married to Mr. Law or are you dead to the law and married to the Lord Jesus? And if you got saved and you're married to the Lord Jesus, have you been living in adultery by still walking after Mr. Law? Have you been trying to get approval and attention by your own performance and self effort? Or do you not even care about God's approval and only about yourself? You know, that works until you're first bout with COVID. And that works until the first time your child gets really, really sick. And that works until the first time someone you love is in accident. And that works until the first time you're diagnosed with a disease. Have you come to trust Jesus alone for salvation? Or are you suffocating in a religious system that is just pressing you down, setting on your chest? Have you given your life to a walk in the spirit, which produces fruit unto God through ministry in Christ's body, this church. You know the easiest way, easiest way for you to really get walking in the spirit, get involved in ministry through Christ's body because I guarantee you Christ's body is gonna overcome what's in your body. So the best way to stay out of sin, get involved in serving. We can show you how to do all this through our discipleship. So, so are you willing to be released today from a suffocating life and really exhale and just start to breathe? You know, Romans 10, 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be able to exhale, can really start breathing. Shall be delivered because you'll be saved. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You say, okay, Alan, what do I have to do to receive Christ today? How do I call upon his name as Lord? How do I receive eternal life in Christ and get that new life in the Holy Spirit that you're talking about? You know, all you have to do is pray, it's a spiritual transaction. So it takes a a spiritual action. All you have to do is pray and just say, God save me today for Jesus' sake. I trust Jesus today for eternal life. I trust in his finished work on the cross. Nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling. And if you pray that today, then will you... Thank Jesus by coming up to the front and letting us know that you prayed, so that we can rejoice with you. I mean, I just want to take one more minute with you and and give you something that will tell you how to grow in your faith and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know, I just want to get you a little booklet I've written on next steps for new believers. And maybe you're not a new believer, but you know one. Okay, come up and come up and get a copy. Next Sunday, we're going to start a new series on experiencing God by the Holy Spirit. And I may take two or three weeks on the front end and just be in that series, but then we're going to alternate that with our um, finishing of the book of Romans. But you need this. This is life to you. If you've ever wondered, how can I get filled with the Holy Ghost? What does that even mean? How can I have his filling and his power? What's it going to look like? This is life to you. Invite someone to come with you. Do not miss it. Do not miss it.